are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I'm, I'm loving the series, and, and I'm loving the response that you have to the series, and I can't get over how many people tell me on a weekly basis in a text or an email or in person that I bought the book, I'm reading through the book with you. I think the reason why it has gotten our attention is because it's where we're all living. So I'm going to sit down right here for a minute, and I just want to talk to you about that a little bit. There are almost none of us who cannot identify with this conversation. I have to be so careful about what I say and to who I say it. I, I, I've got people in my life that, that I, just, I just try to avoid a conversation about politics. Or there are people in my life where I just try not to get into a conversation about the pandemic. Or there are people in my life where I just try to avoid any kind of conversation about race, about black lives, about blue lives. I just try to stay away from those conversations because I don't envision a healing conversation happening about those particular topics. And so, Pastor Rick, I just kind of live my life these days trying to avoid certain conversations with certain people in my life. I I mean, all of us understand that. And so what, what has to happen somewhere along the way is the church of Jesus Christ, you and I have to rise up and begin to lead the way in healing conversations. We're going to have to talk to each other along the way at some point. So one of the things that I love about the book that my friend Dave Roberts wrote is that Dave practices humility himself. And today we're talking about humility. So, so Dave says in this chapter about humility, because there are many elements that are important in order to have healing conversations, and humility is one of those elements, he says, let's just get something right off from the start clear. Okay, let's make something clear. He says, I Seriously, your phone is ringing right here on the front row, and I'm trying my best to communicate to these people, and there's hundreds watching online, and I've got to put up with this cell phone of yours. <laughs> oh, just, he's your favorite. I'm just, I'm just loving it. Thank you for letting me tease with you a little bit. He says, let's get something made clear from the start. Here we go. You ready? I don't know very much, Dave says. And then he says, before you go thinking that I'm very self-effacing, let me say something else. I don't think you know very much either. So what, what if you and I were just randomly one Sunday walking through the foyer and we're talking and I just said to you, you know, I, I really don't know much. And you said, no, come on, Pastor Rick, you know a lot. And I said, no, I really don't, but I don't think you know much either. Because I really don't think either of us know very much at all. I I think that we have a lot of ideas, and I think we have some good ideas, and I think we have some very strong feelings. In fact, I think we have some really strong feelings, and I think we have some beliefs that we're very passionate about. But, But if you really push me when it comes to the whole pandemic, and you push me all the way to the edge, I'm just going to have to admit to you, there's a lot that I don't know about the pandemic. I'm just being totally honest. And if you want to engage with me in a political conversation, I'm going to have to say to you, there's a whole lot that I don't know about this whole political conversation. 
You want to know something else? All those talking heads on television, they don't know much either. Oh, I got an amen. I'm not, I'm not real familiar because I don't hear that often, you know. I don't know how to respond to that, you know. You know what else? <laughs> I, I expected that from you. I'm not surprised at all. You know what else? All the people who are writing books nowadays, claiming they are experts in all these areas, they don't know much either. Do you know what humility is? Humility is a person who is willing to admit, I don't know as much as I often let on like I do. Humility is a person who says, you know what? I sometimes come across as a know-it-all, and the truth is I'm not. There is so much that I do not know. So here's, here's what I'm trying to get at today, okay? Let me just put it on the screen for you. Humility changes how we enter into conversations with others. I mean, as my mom would say, this makes all the difference in the world. But it does. Humility changes how you engage in conversations with other people and how they engage in conversations with you. What would it be like if we in the church of Jesus Christ just began to express a little bit of humility in our conversations and we didn't come across as if we've got it all figured out. We know what it's about. You don't listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. If we just kind of started the conversation more as equals. And said, I've got some ideas, and I've got some feelings, and I've got some beliefs, but I'm sure you've got some too. So let's listen to each other. So what I want to do is talk to you a little bit about this book. It's an awesome book. It's called the Bible. Much of it was written, the New Testament, 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, there was a, a, a missionary. You know what a missionary is, right? Slash tent maker. His name was Paul. Paul was thrown into prison in a town called Ephesus because he would not, and he would say, I could not stop talking about Jesus. And while he's in prison in Ephesus, he dictates a letter to be sent to a small group of Christians who are in a Roman colony called Philippi. Now, in Philippi, this, this Roman colony of persecuted Christians kind of huddling together trying to stay alive... Because they cannot, and they say, it's not only that we would not, but we could not stop talking about Jesus either. Philippi was a Roman colony well known for its nationalistic patriotism. Many retired Roman soldiers lived there. And so Paul says to them, I want you to understand something clearly. Your citizenship is in heaven. And so therefore, as citizens of the kingdom of God first... Everything that you do and everything that you say and how you live your life must be as you follow Jesus Christ. So he becomes your example. He becomes your standard. He becomes the one that you imitate. He becomes the one that you seek to live like. As you live as citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God right there in Philippi. And so, so what does that look like anyway? So 15 times Paul uses in that little short letter, four chapters, the word Lord. He's the Lord of your life. 
He's in charge of your life. You submit your life to him. You follow him. You imitate him. You live like him. You have one deep supreme desire, and that is to be like Jesus. He says, in every area of your life, listen to me, even in your relationships with one another, even in your relationships with others, even in the way that you talk to each other, you live like Jesus. And so let me, let me read some words to you. You ready? Here we go. Do nothing. Here's what that looks like. First, he starts with what you do not do as a follower of Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? That would be to live with this motivation to elevate myself, right? Selfish ambition would say that I'm really concerned about my interest I'm not all that concerned about your interest. That's selfish ambition. Hey, could we just look out for me? All right? Could we just focus on me? That's selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and do nothing out of vain conceit. Vain conceit would be this inflated pride in oneself. Do you guys have any idea how blessed you are to get to watch me do this 30 minutes every week? Do you understand See, that is, thank you, that is vain conceit. I do not mean it, I do not believe it, but that would be like this inflated, you know, self-pride. Rather, this is what you should do. In humility. Humility is the opposite of vain conceit. Humility is the opposite of inflated pride. Value others. Big words. Value others above yourselves. That's the opposite of selfish ambition. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And then he says, let the same attitude be in you, in your relationships with one another, that was in Christ Jesus. And he defines carefully the humility that existed in the life of Christ. So um, you're familiar with the phrase cancel culture. Raise your hands if you are. If you're online, would you get involved with your online pastor? He'd love to talk with you about it. Cancel culture. Here's what it simply means. It means that um, if a person, an individual, or a company, or entity says or does something that I find offensive. So it could be, you know, simply that you say something that I don't agree with. Or that you support a political candidate that I don't support. Or even if you did or said something 30 years ago, and I'm made aware of it today, I simply say I'm going to cancel you. Cancel culture. If you're a company, we're going to boycott you. It's been referred to as group shaming. If you're a public figure, we boycott you. Basically, what we do is we just say, you're no more in our minds. We just X you out. We write you off. We have nothing to do with you ever again. And we will boycott you in order to make your life tough. Because what you said, I found offensive. Or what you did, I found offensive. 
So in this conversation of us desiring to be like Jesus, is that what Jesus is like? Absolutely not. Jesus is the opposite of council culture. Do you know what Jesus did to people who offended him? He forgave them. I got inspired this week. I heard someone say, Jesus didn't cancel people. Jesus canceled their sin. Now that that would have been a great opportunity. There you go. You see, as a follower of Jesus, there is no way in the world that you or I can justify just writing somebody off. In fact, it's very close to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, and if you call your brother a fool, you are in danger of hellfire. It is very close to that conversation, just writing somebody off. I'm done with you. X over you, I'm done. So so the Apostle Paul is writing this group of people in Philippi, and, and they're dealing with all kinds of issues. They're dealing with divisions. They disagree about things. And so, and so what's going on is, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot happening in the letter. And let me get back to my notes, and I'll tell you what else happened in that letter because I just kind of lost my train of thought for a minute. They're dealing with this external opposition, these people who are neighbors of theirs who say, because your Christians were struggling with you and they're experiencing persecution, uh, some of them are going to prison, some of them are losing their lives. But there's also this internal opposition that's happening because in the church itself, they are having some disagreements. Can you believe that? In the church itself, some people are disagreeing with each other about things like wearing masks and all kinds of stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so here's what they're disagreeing about. There's two ladies in the church who are into it. They're fighting with each other. Paul says, here are their names and they need to stop. Wouldn't that make a Sunday morning sermon interesting? And then there's all these conversations about what Gentiles need to do to actually become Christians. And what they were asking of them was pretty steep. I'll just leave it right there, okay? You want me to do what? It involves circumcision. And Jesus says, I didn't come to make Gentiles Jews, nor did I come to make Jews Gentiles. Christ has fulfilled the law. That's already been done. I came to start something brand new, and I want to make all of you members of my church. And so this is where they live. They're living with this kind of stuff. And so what what do you do when you're living with these kinds of divisions? And and Paul says, well, let me start by just saying what you don't do. What you don't want to do is you do do not want to live your life out of selfish ambition. This this idea that that I want to elevate myself and that I'm only looking to my own interest. You might might remember, and then again you might not, that a few weeks ago in 1 Peter, we talked about humility one day. And I gave you a quote, and I want to give it back to you again, okay? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror and just saying, you're such a loser. You're not going to believe it anyway. You, You know you're awesome, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. In in other words, humility is all about thinking about other people 
So I got up one morning recently, and, and I'm just going to be a little more transparent, and it's going to be comfortable for a minute, but it, it's okay. I think transparency is important. I was, I was throwing a little bit of a pity party for Ricky Wayne Harvey, you know. I was telling Jesus all about it. And, uh, and I was just spending the bulk of my prayer time just kind of focused on concerns for me. And I felt so strongly that the Lord said, really, Rick, you don't really have any problems. I mean, look at your life. But you know some people who do. What, what if you just stopped focusing on yourself and you just focused on them? What if instead of praying right now about what you're praying about, what if you just prayed for them? And I felt it so strongly, I walked down the stairs and I confessed it to my wife. Let's talk about humility, Paul says. This is what you don't do. You don't live your life so inwardly focused that you can't see the needs of the people around you. And the second thing that you don't do is live this vain, conceited life with this elevated pride in yourself. See, pride says, I've got it figured out. I have the answers. I know what I'm talking about. It doesn't wash because let me show you something, okay? And yes, there was an R in the word wash, okay? <laughs> Healing conversations occur when we abandon our own egos. And until I abandon my own ego and so prideful in all of my wonderful knowledge, and I know what I'm talking about, healing conversations just aren't going to occur. So if that's what we're not going to do, what are we going to do? And Paul gives us really good, clear instructions. So let me just tell you a quick little story. I spent a day when I lived in Cincinnati with a guy that was in our church there, and he had kind of planned for a few weeks this one afternoon that he and I were going to spend together. Interesting personality, very interesting person to be around. He was looking forward to it. He kind of mapped out, we're going to eat lunch, and then from there we're going to go here and then here and then here. So I blocked out the whole afternoon to spend with my friend. And the longer I spent time with him, the more bothered I became in my spirit. And the afternoon wore on longer, and I became more bothered in my spirit. And the afternoon went on longer, and I became more bothered in my spirit. And finally, he drops me back off at my office to get in my car and to drive home. And driving home, I was just so bothered I couldn't stand it from my time spent with him. And I wasn't bothered by him. It was the opposite. I was bothered by myself. He valued people so much. It was so apparent to me that, that he really cared deeply and he really loved deeply. And people mattered so much to him. And we would drive away from somebody and he would talk about them. And I realized how much that person meant to him. And people who were so different from him, like we spent an hour with a Jewish man that we had so little in common with. And I realized how much that man meant to him. 
And I'm driving away thinking, I'm a pastor for heaven's sakes. They give me a check every week to care for people. And I don't care for anybody like he cares for people. And I begin to struggle. Do I really value people? And so Paul says, hey, in his letter, um, thanks so much for the offering that you took. It, it helped a lot. Um, Epaphroditus got sick, I guess you heard. Well, obviously he's better because if you're reading the letter, it's because he brought it back to you. And I'm sorry you're going through persecution because I know it's tough, but stand firm in your faith, whatever you do. And um, oh yeah, there's this one other thing. You guys have got to get along. You've you got to work out these differences. You, 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 you've got to get through this stuff. You've got to get together. You've got to humble yourselves. You, you can't be arrogant and prideful. You've got to really have healing conversations with one another. And he appeals to them through this idea of, of, of unity. So you say, well, Paul, how, how do you get to that place? And he says, well, let, let me show you. In humility, read those next two words with me. Value others. Do you know what so often that's what it all comes down to? Do I value others or do I write them off? They're on the other team, Pastor Rick. They don't see the world like I see it. They don't agree with me about some things I'm really passionate about. You're going to write them off? You're going to cancel them out? Or, or do you value others above yourselves? Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. See, see humility says, I, I'm not proud, I'm not arrogant. I haven't overestimated my own significance. I haven't even estimated overestimated my own my own opinions so i want to i want to give you i want to give you a truth and i'm borrowing this from my friend dave okay but we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of a ride here for the next two minutes humility comes down to recognizing the difference between what we know and what we believe so i'm just going to Go ahead, read it, reread it, think about it. Humility comes down to recognizing the difference between what we know and what we believe. All right, here we go. So um, I have this thing that I say to people, and, and I'm an interesting personality. These people that work with me can tell you. Um, I, I kind of have this deal that if it works for me and if, and if I think it's, then it should work for you and you should buy in, Okay. So, so there's this one thing that I say to people all the time, and it's like, if, if, you, if you weigh every morning, it will help you manage your weight. You say, Rick, do you weigh every morning? Every morning I weigh. Helps me manage my weight. Does it really help you? Yes. Sometimes. 
It does. So have you done a study or something? Take my word. Just take my word for it, okay? And see, what you're already determining in your mind is that you don't know that that's the case, do you? You believe that's the case. See, there's a difference in what we know and what we believe. For me, it makes perfect sense because it, it somehow works for me. I mean, sometimes it works for me. But, but in my mind, t- tell me this. Why in the world would I sit here and argue with you for 30 minutes that if you will weigh every morning, it will help you manage your weight? When the truth is, you and I know, I don't know that for sure. I just believe that to be the case. Right? So apply that to the pandemic, would you? Whether it's about mask and what they do or what they don't do. Or whether it's about how the disease is transmitted or not transmitted. Right? Look at me for a minute. It's okay to say, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a biologist. I'm not an infectious disease specialist. And the truth is, there's a lot about the pandemic that I don't know. But here's what I believe. And all of a sudden, the conversation has gone from being potentially contentious to potentially healing. All because in a little humility you said, as a lot, I don't know. But this is what I believe. And so when you say that, my response is, Well, go ahead and believe whatever you want to believe. Believe with all of your heart. That's very different than presenting it to me as truth. And trying to convince me and win the conversation. You see, I I would say, don't stop believing. Believe with everything in you. But don't let what you believe about particular issues keep you from letting other people have their ideas and opinions too. And don't let it prevent you from having a conversation. So I just, I just got to tell you, there's somebody in my life that I love very much. But, but I'm going to level with you about something, okay? We don't agree on much. And it's not my wife. But me and this person that I love, we, we agree on almost nothing. You get us into conversations, I'm on one side, they're on the other side. But, but a while ago, I got a rough draft copy of my friend Dave's book. And, and I began to read it. And God used it as a means of grace in my life. And with this person that I love that we don't agree on much, we weren't having many conversations. We just avoided conversations. But today we have conversations. I would call them healing conversations. Okay, Rick, just admit it, would you? You walk away from those conversations, you're losing most of them, aren't you? You know what? I'm not. Do you know how they, you know how they end often? They end like this. You know, I don't agree. 
And, and I realize you don't agree with me. But if we hadn't had this conversation, I don't think I would have ever known why you believe what you believe or why you feel what you feel. And, and I'm really glad that we're able to talk about it. And, and I walk away feeling like I've been listened to and I believe they're walking away feeling like they've been listened to. And I don't think either one of us walks away feeling like we're winners or losers. But we walk away feeling valued. See, here's, here's where we're, we are in this conversation. When, when I think about conversations like that, I think about Jesus. Because Paul says, in your relationships with each other, in the way that you have conversations with each other, you should have the mindset of Jesus. And Jesus had a mindset of humility. And you're going, oh, Rick, please. Really, do I have a shot in the world of becoming like Jesus? I love the honesty of this statement right here. I love it. I want to be like Jesus, but right now I'm just shooting for Mr. Rogers. I, I don't, I, to be like Jesus is just too much of a reach, you know. But God works in our lives and he brings grace in our lives to change our hearts. And you know what I believe? I believe somebody today is saying, you know what, Rick, in this moment, God's changing my heart. It's hard for me to say it out loud and I might not be able to say it out loud for a few days, but I come across too much of a know-it-all. I shut down way more conversations than I encourage. I need some humility in my conversations with others. I need to be willing to listen to somebody else's point of view and then be okay to say, I don't agree, but I sure like having the conversation. And I love you and you matter to me. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you will continue to do your best work in our hearts and make us like Jesus. Thank you for hearing us pray. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.